go ahead and call to order the regular meeting of the City of Kirkland Park Board for November 9th, 2022. <laughs> uh, recording secretary, will you please call roll? Please say here when I say your name. Board member Ambrosini? Here. Board member Cullen? Here. Board member Hansen? Here. Board member Simpson? Board member Harik? Here. Vice Chair Holland? Here. And Chair Judd? Here. Staff present are Deputy Director John Lloyd, Park Planning and Development Manager Mary Gardaki, Recreation Manager Sarah Schellenbarger, and Recording Secretary Heather Lance Brazil. Thank you, Heather. A quorum is present. And hi, Rashawn. You were missed last month. Welcome. Thank you. Hello. Um, board member Amy Ambrosini will now read the land acknowledgement. We acknowledge that the Southern Salish Sea region lies on the unceded and ancestral land of the Coast Salish peoples, Duwamish, Muckleshoot, Puyallup, Skyhomish, Snohomish, Suquamish, and Tulalip tribes and other tribes of the Puget Sound Salish people. And that present day city of Kirkland is in the traditional heartland of the lake people and the river people. We honor with gratitude the land itself, the first people, who have reserved treaty rights and continue to live here since time immemorial and their ancestral heritage. Thank you, Amy. Who would like to read the land acknowledgement for December? I will go ahead and take that. Okay. Next on our agenda is items from the audience. It looks like we do not have any attendees currently. Uh, I will move on to approval of the minutes. So the October 12th, 2022 minutes draft was distributed in our packet. Um, do, does anyone have any corrections or amendments that they would like to provide to the minutes? Okay, hearing none, the minutes are approved as presented. Uh, I will now open the business items portion of the meeting. The first item of business is a ballot measure update. Um, it looks like, uh, Mary Gardaki, our park planning and development manager, will provide the board with an update and presentation. Thank you, Mary. Sure. Um, so the, the point we are with the ballot measure and the development of working with the PFAC uh, or committee is um, we recently had a meeting on October 27th with them and it focused on some options related to the aquatics and recreation centers and specifically uh, four sites that we were uh, originally looking at. That is Juanita Beach, um, Totem, I'm sorry, Juanita Beach, Houghton Park and Ride, Peter Kirk, 
and North Kirkland Community Center. So what I have tonight is um, uh, you're, you're getting the B team. So what I'm going to do is a pretty much a quick abbreviated version of the entire presentation that uh, OPSIS, the architects that we've hired for this, um, presented to the PFAC group. So I'm gonna pause during different sections of that and ask for your questions at, at that time. And um, let me get sharing right away. Unless there's any questions right off the bat. Okay. So, can you see my screen? Yes, it is in um, there. Perfect. Okay. Um, so again, apologies for the B team here, but I'm going to do my best to go through this uh, pretty efficiently. And again, I'll pause at certain sections to see if there's any questions or comments. So again, this was presented on October 27th to the PFEC group. And as a reminder, the project study scope and outcomes. In the end, we were looking for uh, three, some concept plans for three potential indoor facilities. Um, also the Peter Kirk Park redevelopment plan. And then just a quick recap of the timeline. So that night was getting feedback on these sites and sizes. And then through November and December, the consultants will complete concept plans. Uh, in January, the consultants will present to PFEC and city council. And then uh, January to February, PFEC will make the decisions and recommendations to council. Um, and on that night, the purpose was about the education. The consultants will share research and pre preliminary recommendations. Uh, we sought feedback from the PFEC members to provide input about the size, site and size, and then direction. We did a, a couple of quick straw polls during the meeting, which I'll talk to briefly at the very end of the presentation and um, sought their clarity on next steps for the consultant and the consultant work in, this, in the city. This just goes over the quick agenda for the evening. Um, again, just talking about uh, facility guiding principles, market analysis, program space, the sites, the site analysis and test fit diagrams, and then um, concluding with the site cost and evaluation and their recommendations. So the guiding principles, real quick review, uh, just the project vision, it uh, serves as a significant uh, unmet aquatic recreation and compute, com excuse me, community space needs in Kirkland. Um, these can be legacy projects for the Kirkland community that we uh, remind ourselves to be welcoming, safe and accessible environment for all that encourages diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, achieves the city's vision and community priorities. And then during the design process that it's right sized and is complementary between facilities and that there's a versatility to maximize the facility use. So environmentally, it, 
it creates a synergy between facility and park space. It offers indoor and outdoor programming, uh, environmental sound uh, to support sustainable practices. Financially, it op optimizes the value of the budget, whether it's capital or operational, uh, and it continues to be financially sustainable into the future and offers uh, potential partnership opportunities and provides a phased implementation plan for continuous service to the community. And that the, overall, the vision supports a successful ballot measure, which is what we're looking for. So first, uh, I'll talk really quickly about the aquatics and indoor recreational needs. But before I do that, I'll take a quick pause to see if there's any questions. Okay. So the whole purpose, a lot of this comes from the PROS plan in our 2022 community survey. And in that some salient issues really surfaced that an indoor aquatic center and indoor recreation uh, center is one of the most important needs for improvement in our community. Um, one is the indoor recreation center that rated number one in the survey and an indoor recreation center rated number in third. Uh, community needs around, the, just in general, aquatic programs are not being met. And we can talk to Sarah quickly about how we're not able to accommodate all the swim lessons that, that the community needs and other uh, aquatic programming. And we've learned that an indoor facility will definitely increase participation. In fact, 36% of participants at a recreation center like this or aquatic complex would increase their participation in parks and recreation. And it's the second highest item <laughs> after uh, year round restrooms. Uh, so a real quick encapsulation of looking at the needs analysis for the city of Kirkland. It, it, this is simply some of the demographics that we look at when we start to shape these kind of programs. And so it's population, the total number of house households, the number of family households, medium age, medium income. Um, but probably a, a factor you're seeing here is about the entertainment or recreation index. And this comes from some national research that they have about how other communities are accommodating recreation in parks and entertainment in their communities. It's sort of the baseline. And our participation in entertainment and recreation is much higher than other communities. In fact, it's 76% higher. And so that just shows that there is a need that we, we need to address. Um, the graphic on the right shows the potential locations of the sites that I, I spoke about. So uh, Juanita Beach, North Kirkland, Peter Kirk, and uh, Houghton Park and Ride. There's also just some informative uh, estimations of some other uh, support systems that are already in place, such as uh, the YMCA, um, other municipal and government opportunities in the area for these types of opportunities. And then most importantly, what you're seeing the impact of some niche uh, private uh, recreational opportunities that are available. They're not necessarily comprehensive in nature to uh, parks and recreation, but they are, um, they do provide uh, impact to the community. 
Um, so again, the four sites, we're just honing in a little bit here. And um, the four sites we already talked about, there's the three YMCA, the five municipal and 16 uh, private. And, the, and as I said, they're mostly boutique, they're niche. The terms like um, uh, stretch lab or yoga studios, but there are a few that are, uh, some are full service. We've also identified some of the pools, whether it's an HOA, um, private, uh, municipal, or a school. So you'll see like for the school, the municipal government, there is an existing pool that's uh, identified here as Juanita Heights uh, or Juanita High School. And um, just to give you a, a lay of the land of, of where those, uh, all these types of options are available. <clears throat> The population characteristics have an influence on this as well. So we know that there's a growing number of families and we need more places to play, recreate and swim. Uh, we understand there's a very stable market, especially in terms of population. Um, it's already being somewhat met, but clearly not to the extent that the community desires. Um, there is the ability to pay. So some of this information that we're gathering in, in this decision-making is that we do see that there is the ability to pay for these programs and services. And because we say that, because residents are currently paying for similar services, but um, in, in a more of an ad hoc kind of way. Um, so the general, the conclusion from our uh, market consultant, is that our full community profile does support multiple indoor facilities. And to, to kind of drive this home a little bit more, we look at national benchmarks for facilities, and that means the National Recreation and Park Association. So we look at populations across the country and in comparison, uh, population of Kirkland size would generally have um, that average inventory. So uh, whether it's a two, and these numbers are again, just a conglomerate of a lot of data. Um, so that's why you'll see thing, numbers like 2.3 or 1.4. Again, this is just a metric to use to gauge yourself um, against other communities. And our current inventory is there shown on the right, which is zero recreation, centers, the two community centers, which we know PK and NK, um, and then zero true senior centers or an aquatic center. We do have one outdoor pool, um, but it is definitely at the end of its useful life right now. We do have high participation rates in all these types of activities. I won't read them all, but you can get the general theme of, by the categories of whether it's pools, such as aerobic exercise, um, multi-purpose rooms for, uh, again, also aerobic exercise, but Pilates and yoga, the gymnasium, such things as basketball, uh, pickleball, uh, volleyball, fitness space, again, um, aerobic exercise, uh, exercise with equipment, um, running and jogging tracks, weightlifting. So those are the needs that uh, we would see the high participation rates for our community. 
<clears throat> aquatics and indoor recreation needs analysis. So here is the conclusion, the market conclusion from our consultant is that yes, this community definitely can support multiple indoor facilities and that they should vary in size and program. Um, at least one of those facilities should include aquatics and also um, both if there's more than one, the, all the facilities uh, would include a fitness element. And at least one of those should focus on older adults. But all facilities should have some kind of multi-generational, multicultural programming within it. So before I go on to facility program spaces and the sites, um, I'm gonna pause for any questions. Quiet group. All right, I'm gonna try and up my game here, get you a little more engaged. All right, let's see what I can do. All right, pictures, that should do it. Um, community spaces. So this is more to give you some definition of, we're using a lot of terms, a lot of in, indoor, inside baseball, we call it. Um, but sometimes these images help to reflect what is a community space. And what you can see here is some of those opportunities that would happen within these community spaces, whether it's music opportunities, art, um, a, a, a senior lounge, if you will, on the, on the left, um, there's a gaming room or even a woodworking uh, space or maker space that is um, available in these community spaces. Recreation spaces, uh, these um, are really just about the, the whole opportunity within these space, in these facilities for recreation. So obviously such as things as a gymnasium and all the types of programs that a simple gymnasium can, can provide. Uh, whether it's again, basketball, volleyball, pickleball, um, it can even accommodate a playground, indoor playground, but there's also opportunity to make that even a, a unique special space within the facility. Um, and then having that wonderful gymnasium and all that flexibility um, can be uh, even improved by having then a jogging and running track above it that circles the, the gymnasium opportunity. <clears throat> Some of the cardio and exercise components, this is again recreation, but you can see that some of these fitness areas that can be built into the facility are emulated here by these images of whether it's yoga or um, strength building, uh, endurance, or um, general aerobic exercise. Aquatics spaces are the most fun to look at because it's just, you just want to dive in. And um, these images do show, again, some of the programmatic opportunities with aquatic spaces. Um, there's the leisure element, the uh, exercise element, um, the fun and family uh, element, and, and just the good times that can be had in any kind of uh, water environment. And especially in our, our climate, it would be really awesome to have this year round available to us. And then we also look at the park spaces that are, are kind of related to some of these sites. And there are opportunities for improvement there. Um, 
so we look a little bit at the possibility of a multi-use synthetic turf field, um, maybe some water play elements, uh, a, a new skate park, um, both active and passive opportunities within some of the remnant park space that happens outside of any indoor or uh, recreation aquatic facility. <clears throat> so I'm showing a, a lot of information right now. And the reason I wanted to we want to start with this is to show how we set up the, the design decisions for this. And uh, when we're looking at these spaces, we categorized all those images I showed you um, in these three options. And there's the large, medium, large, and medium. And that's really based on square footage. And so you'll see that at the bottom of the building area of 105,000. Um, oh, I gotta move this. I gotta move you guys, hold on. Uh, uh, 70,000 or 45,000. And you'll see each has the same kind of groupings of what we were looking at in each of these, whether that is recreation space, aquatic space, community space, and then support space. Um, <clears throat> because all that can happen without the necessary support space, such as administration, lockers, changing um, support and storage. So <clears throat> all those elements are then packaged into these three options. So with that, I will pause again and see if there's any questions or comments. Okay, um, so potential sites and site evaluation criteria. Barry, um, I, I had a question. Yes, I'm sorry. I have my, my video uh, images shown, so I'll just need you to speak. Oh. So uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and ask my question. So I was the last chart on the um, um, the recreational facilities and the community centers. Uh, the large and the medium large uh, we're, pl we're planning indoor year-round pools, correct? And then on the medium, the smaller size community center, we're planning an outdoor pool similar to similar to Peter Kirk pool we have today. Is, mm -hmm. that, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And again, these are just big buckets that are getting tweaked even as we speak. So um, it's it's sort of just you, we need to start with some kind of a framework to try sure. to shape the proposal. Yeah. Well, I was just very happy to see that the um, even the medium large is also looking at a, a an indoor a twelve month mm -hmm. um, pool that could be used year round. And obviously, I, I would be pushing to even on a medium size one to make it make that one also a 12-month uh, a pool rather than a three-month pool. Mm -hmm. But I know those, that's all money. It is. That's it exactly right. It it's all it money. Does. It comes down to money. You're right. Okay, thank you. <laughs> okay. Mary? Yes. Um, when you're looking at the spaces, um, how... And I guess maybe maybe the consultant will answer this. I know that we can support up to two 
facilities. Um, but there are so many choices in our community as far as private as well. How do we make sure we don't overbuild? Mm. Like, like how, I mean, and you don't, it's sort of, you don't have to answer it. It's kind of um, rhetorical, but um, I would, you know, I, I think about like the community center on Mercer Island where some of the, they have some funding challenges and then they have operational challenges and it's underutilized. Mm -hmm. um, or, um, and one would perceive that the community can afford the, the uh, recreational options yet the two rec centers on the island struggle. Um, you know, when you consider the Jewish Community Center and the, and the uh, Mercer Island Community Center. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know, I just, and coming from my JCC background where the community invested in a major capital campaign and, and built, and again, it ends up being underutilized because the costs, um, even though they might be lower than a private, um, still feel out of reach for a lot of people. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great observation. And I think um, what it boils down to is every community is different and what their needs are. I think what, what's happening at the city in the city of Kirkland is that we are we're underserving our community with these resources. Um, although there are those uh, private opportunities um, and then some of the perimeter uh, municipal uh, company uh, agencies are providing some of that, we're simply not meeting the needs. And you can and you can tell by just our ability to execute successful and uh, fully loaded programming. There's just a lot of opportunity for us that we're, we're, we're not meeting the needs. And that goes back to, um, I'll go all the way back to, um, the the needs that we need um, again we have uh, we're we're in a deficit we're definitely in a deficit for what a community sure, like ours sure. needs so um, also part of this whole development does include uh, uh, like it, we talked about this is part of that market analysis that helps to really support. Um, the whole decision process and what that cost recovery will be included in this. So it's, okay. it's, a, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty complex uh, evolution, I should say. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Mary, a quick question on um, one slide back. How do we prioritize and then how much impact does that have? I know you, it's still being refined and will continue to be refined, but specifically I'm assuming indoor versus outdoor aquatic space, those would make a pretty big difference in the assessments. Um, how are those buckets defined? Are those like standards or um, were they based upon the surveys? It, it, it's a combination of several things. Um, one is about the need and what are all the services that we're trying to provide for the community? 
and how we can fit those in efficiently and cost effectively in these structures. So um, these frameworks help with that, help shape that. Um, so that's why we you see these these big uh, categories of recreation space, aquatic space, community space, and support space. So you're going to see some some duplication between some of them. So we know we know we need multi-purpose fitness, and you're, that's why you're seeing that across all of them. Uh, cardio weights again, part of that recommendation. Um, but there is some flexibility between them to try to prioritize or even possibly phase these types of facilities into the future. You know, maybe the, the first one really captures um, a big chunk of the need, but then these medium facilities might be able to be ancillary as far as how they help support the programs that we're trying to provide. Thank you, Mary. Mm -hmm. and one last question, Mary. Has it been determined by the consultants that all four of the selected spaces can accommodate the large, medium, large, or medium? Um, that is a great segue to my next part of the presentation. Because it is all goes down to site and, and uh, you know, the size of the site and what we can actually build there. So thank you, Tammy, for potential sites and site evaluation criteria. So again, just a, again, as a reminder, the four potential sites we have here on a, a graphic to the right, um, North Kirkland Community Center and Park, uh, Juanita Beach, Peter Kirk Community Center and Park, and Houghton Park and Ride. And you can see their geographic disbursement uh, in this graphic. So the, the main categories of the site evaluation, site evaluation criteria focused on these six elements, um, development capacity, economic viability, stewardship of funding. Uh, it supports diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Um, a review of the regulatory approval process, and then um, the potential community support. And that is actually, uh, the role of the PFAC during this, this uh, process. And just to break those down a little bit more, uh, development capacity accommodates program space needs, accommodates parking requirements, enhances the park overall, optimal and effective use of the site, um, and then breakdown of economic viability, cost recovery, uh, whether it's a prominent frontage on a major arterial, uh, proximity to other compatible amenities, and then if there's potential uh, partnerships. Uh, stewardship of funding, uh, site development costs, um, you know, all these sites are very different and what those, what, the, how that impacts the site development costs can be, can vary greatly. Um, whether the site conditions are challenging, whether the soils are poor or the top topography is challenging. Um, land acquisition, if that's applicable, which of course um, Houghton Park and Ride we know um, is not currently owned by the city of Kirkland. Uh, and then the overall project development costs that um, 
result from these uh, options and then trying to look to value added in, in these designs. So again, being better stewards of the funding. Supports diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, uh, balanced and complementary services to all, pre preserves and enhances outdoor recreation as well, and provides access to uh, getting people to the, these sites is that the, it provides an access to a variety of transportation modes. Um, and then regulatory approval, Ugh, permitting is fun. So you, we're trying to look at, try to minimize the impact of regulatory approval. Um, so avoiding wetlands, streams, steep slopes, uh, any kind of variances we might need and trying overall to have no lengthy permit or approval process. Um, and again, the potential community support is really the role of PFEC's um, input and how they're um, helping shape uh, this information and possibilities for what could be on the ballot measure. So I, again, we'll pause. Any questions? I have a question, Mary. Are those um, different criteria, are those in priority order? Are they in no. the order? No, 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 okay. they're not. Thank you for that question. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. They all interweave with each yeah. other. I have a question, Mary, about the potential site locations for those. So for um, for Juanita Beach, I'm assuming that's the north part. I mean, not, yes. not necessarily yes. the full yeah. No, we're not going to tear down the bathhouse. And, no. <laughs> and um, for the, um, the North Kirkland Community Center, would that be... Um, replacing the current structure yes so okay so it, it wouldn't necessarily add to what we have it would partially replace right. so we would lose the current structure and the, mm -hmm. the hosting programming in that space so uh, it would be replaced with something much better absolutely but opposed to it being in a different location where we would have that location and the North Kirkland Community Center. Oh, this. right, correct, yeah. So again, the, 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 uh, for, to be clear, the, the recommendation isn't that in the end, you need to only choose one site. There mm -hmm. is the opportunity to have complementary sites, mm -hmm. but that is really, um, you have to delve into one, what we can actually fit into all these types of centers, how we can complement one another, and in the end, what we can afford. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, here's some fun stuff. So the site analysis and the test fit diagrams um, and, the, and the evaluation. So, um, each of these sites, I'm going to go through uh, a few sequences of slides. They're existing context, existing conditions, and then some test fits, and then the analysis of what we came up with um, in looking at that based on all that site criteria that I just shared. So the first site 
um, was Houghton Park and Ride, and this is the existing context, a very simple diagram just showing all, all the conditions that we're uh, dealing with in a, in a broader context. Um, so you see the site located there in the center of the image. It identifies all the major arterials, the, the highway, um, the existing properties that are in proximity, uh, whether it's Everest Park, Taylor Fields, which we know we don't own, um, and some of the other elements there. Cross Kirkland Corridor is a, is a nice uh, adjacency element as well. Existing conditions uh, delves in a little bit closer, um, looks at where the access points are, whether there's transit available, some of the sloping conditions, um, what type of intersections we're dealing with, um, and how folks would generally access the property. Um, it, it is kind of a strange site. You, you, you see three parcel lines there, but basically it's it's one um, one part one site. Uh, layout options then based on that type of information and as well as again the site criteria, there's two options that were provided. Uh, one was a large recreation and aquatic center and then a medium uh, community recreation and aquatic center. And so these show the difference in sizes. Um, if you reflect back to those programming elements, that's what would be appearing in these. Both of these uh, options do have um, two levels, <clears throat> but you'll see on the left, the, the large would have uh, all surface parking, which is a much uh, less expensive way to accommodate um, parking on a site. And then you'll see the imprint uh, of the recreation center and then the aquatics component that does allow for some a little residual park space that could be developed as well and complementary. The one on the right uh, does uh, obviously reduce it to a 45,000 square foot facility. Again, still two, two levels still surface parking, but in a, a smaller scale that would be required, and then provides an aquatic element actually as an outdoor pool for this option. And then looking at these, we delve into the site criteria. And uh, overall, you're gonna see this replicated in, in all four sites. Um, there is the, the scale of from four to one, four being excellent, three good, two fair, and one poor. And so again, you'll see the site criteria on the left, all those elements that were, we talked about, and then uh, looking at those sites, giving that a score. So you can see um, based on these two options that were went through the design process, um, the large recreation aquatic center came up a little higher on as far as overall evaluation and um, the medium it was still good, but not as good as the large. North Kirkland Community Center, uh, the existing context, again, zooming out a little bit, trying to get a lay of the land and what's there. Uh, very close proximity, Juanita High School. Um, you'll see some of the other park land that is owned in, in proximity. And again, the uh, some of the transportation routes, again, close proximity to 405, some major arterials are identified, uh, the bike routes are identified. Um, and it, one of the, I think one of the interesting 
things you'll see here is you're starting to see images of liquefaction. So that's that old gray dotted area that you see there. <clears throat> that is, so this one is at, at a medium. You're going to see later um, some high liquefaction potential, and that's related to the soil shifting during uh, element, uh, environmental or um, weather-related events that makes the soil suitable and, and susceptible to landslides. Here, uh, zooming in, uh, the existing conditions, and you'll see uh, this is, it basically shows the topography, some of the existing vegetation, um, entrance opportunities that are already there, where the vehicles enter, where pedestrians um, access the park that's to the right, where the playground is. Uh, so just again, some, some more very important information that takes into account, they take into account when they're designing and doing a test fit for the site. So the layout options for North Kirkland is a large aquatics, a large recreation aquatics, and then a medium and large. And you'll see uh, they look very similar. Um, it's just the scale and scope of the recreation center and the aquatics component is scaled down um, a little bit between the two. And, um, and then you'll see, yeah, again, 105,000 to 70,000, again, both two levels. And then we dive into the site evaluation criteria, again, same scale. And when we look through all this site criteria, um, the large recreation center didn't actually fare very well as much as the medium large did. Um, again, there's the whole host of variables that came into this conclusion on this one. Peter Kirk Community Center and Park. Uh, here's a quick uh, existing context. Again, the arterials you'll see, the cross and corridor, um, <clears throat> some existing park property that is in proximity. So uh, all good information to have. You also see that there's um, similar uh, liquefaction uh, here at the site. Um, you will see uh, soon what a high liquefaction site <laughs> will look like. Um, Existing conditions, zooming in, this is, uh, it shows, I think this is pretty significant that you see this um, floodplain that is actually runs through the site. Um, it, it's something that can be uh, addressed and accommodated, but this is a great example of why a site condition can have much higher cost site development impacts. Um, because that requires a, a whole host of things to, to work through as far as regulatory approval. And it just shows um, some of the existing pathways that are going on in the park, the existing amenities um, and existing buildings and where those are. The layout options uh, resulting from this, um, we have a large recreation aquatic and aquatic center and a medium community recreation and aquatic center. And the one on the left uh, shows the largest uh, large one um, with uh, positioning facing central way and then some uh, amendments to how the park itself would be laid out 
based on this configuration. The majority of this parking is underground. Um, it's uh, with 309 uh, stalls with, with two levels. It has the larger aquatics component and then the larger recreation center. It also shows the opportunity of some uh, repositioning of a multi-use field, uh, the tennis and pickleball courts, and, and then um, not clearly defined at this point, but there would be other opportunities to improve the amenities at the park overall. The medium community recreation center um, is, shows a nice little fit at the south end. So basically where that community center is positioned on the right hand graphic um, overlays where the existing pool is. And uh, it would, um, it, it would, and, and the supporting structure there for it. Um, so they, there's an opportunity here with this to take, make better use of that space, give it uh, a frontage to Kirkland Avenue. Um, and then you have this whole community experience going from a library to community center to the KPC. Um, it makes a nice uh, a transition of public experience for folks. Um, it does add the, the two tennis and pickleball courts. Again, other amenities in the park would be accommodated in the north, <laughs> repositioning of a potential multi-use field, and then an outdoor pool option, basically removing the pool where it currently is and as a possibility or relocated up there to the, to the upper left. Um, and then also maybe a plaza and spray pad and um, outdoor rec uh, showers with the terrace uh, above. A breakdown of those as far as site criteria. Again, these colors all kind of speak volumes uh, as we delve into this. Um, the, the larger facility didn't really fare as well as the medium uh, center did. <clears throat> and then lastly, uh, Juanita Beach Park. Um, again, the uh, zoomed out existing context shows the pathways and the arterials that are available, um, existing proximate, proximate uh, existing parks. Um, and you're going to see the uh, more of that liquefaction. And you're starting to see some of those smaller dots. So you're seeing um, where some of the liquefaction has a little higher impact on this particular site. Zooming in, um, just in general, again, existing conditions, we are dealing with a stream buffer there. So automatically that you have a, a slope to deal with. And then you also have some requirements of setback. And so what you see in that dash line, the light blue dash line is oh, anything to the left of that cannot be built on. So you have to accommodate that buffer space. So that kind of constrains the site a little bit more uh, way than we had anticipated. Um, <clears throat> you also see uh, some of the great standing trees that we have there and uh, vegetation, <clears throat> as well as the existing Forbes, Forbes house. Layout options for Juanita Beach, were, uh, two were explored, the large uh, recreation and the medium. The large, um, to the left, you can, again, both of these images show that accommodation for the buffer that is required for Juanita, 
Juanita Creek. Uh, and um, they're, they're, they're similar, but obviously their scale is different. Again, what's uh, to the left is an indoor aquatic space, and then on the right would be an outdoor pool. A breakdown more detailed with the site criteria uh, shows the um, large aquatic facility, again, didn't fare as well as the medium in the end. It, but neither really um, was, neither actually really fared well. But if, as far as continuity, the, this one did fare a little bit better. The medium did. So with that, I will pause and see if there's any questions or comments. Mary, it's Roshan. Who, who did the scoring again? The consultant or you guys or? Uh, yeah, uh, both of us. Yeah, it was, a, it was a team effort. Okay. I have a, a question, Mary, if it's possible to go back to the um, Peter Kirk Community Center layout options. Yeah. Um, so I just want clarification to make sure I'm looking at this right. <laughs> um, so it looks like it would be uh, basically removing the existing Peter Kirk structure that exists now. Correct. Does that also include the K-Tub space? Yes. Okay. Because I know that so all that agenda item for tonight is, is I know that they're looking at leasing that so mm -hmm. I'm just wondering how that would be impacted if mm -hmm. the layout was was selected. Um, but right, it, it, well, it, you're getting to the to the end of the book. I, let me get there. Right. <laughs> okay. okay, well then I will read the last page of the book. I'll get there. Okay. Okay. So, uh, psych site cost and evaluation uh, conclusion. So as I shared all those options, we put them all on a page and you'll see them all here. And you're starting to see um, some of the, the cost ramifications that these designs uh, impact. Um, and so the top part of these uh, tables reflect the site costs, building costs, and parking costs. Those are hard construction costs. And then the, and you'll see then right under that, the total construction cost. That's just construction. We then have to add another 30% of soft costs and that calls design, um, permitting, uh, all the, all the things that we need to support the actual, to get it to construction. So then you'll see at the very bottom for each of these, the total project costs. These are very rough order of magnitude. And that's why you see ranges. Um, the way you start to hone in these types of costs is through a more specific design evaluation and, and decision-making. But based on all that you've seen in the site criteria and all that we've, in the programming options, um, that's why you see these, these general ranges. And um, so you'll see that that actually has an impact in their, on their final recommendations. 
the uh, again, this is just a recap of the site criteria, and those scores all actually meant something. So uh, when we looked at all those sites, they all got a score. Like, and what surfaced from that is the large Houghton Park and Ride came in at 65. Uh, the North Kirkland Center came in at 56, the medium one. And then the Peter Kirk medium came in at 66. <clears throat> so you'll see though that there's a 57 there in Houghton Park and Ride, which is higher than North Kirkland, but we know we can't build two, <laughs> two community centers on one site. So we're, we're looking at these sites and trying to make a, a systematic uh, review of what types of facilities and where we can put them based on this type of criteria. So based on all that, the site evaluation conclusion involved these three sites, which is the large Houghton Park and Ride, the medium large at North Kirkland, and then the medium at Peter Kirk. So we took this information uh, and shared that all with uh, the PFAC group. And um, it, oh, we also added this just so that we have an informative um, conversation about what all this, how this all impacts the uh, potential ballot measure. And just based again on the high end of these ranges of costs, uh, you'll see the estimated cost per 1000 uh, assessed value. So for each of those, uh, you'll see the, whether it's 26 cents, 25 cents or 14 cents. Um, and then the breakdown of what that annual cost is to a median, uh, to a median uh, Kirkland homeowner. So we took all that to the uh, PFAC group and at, at the conclusion of all that, we asked for their thoughts and the, the the response question that we were asking for is one, yes, the consultant should make a concept plan based on these one of these options. Unsure, I have a question or concern, or no, I don't like this option. And so this result um, <clears throat> shows that there was a, a, a much higher um, uh, direction to go forward with uh, the, the, the large facility at Houghton. Um, more of a, a moderate response to the North Kirkland uh, site. And then the, the clearly obvious most split uh, site was Peter Kirk. So um, yeah, so that was great. That was a great uh, temperature check with PFAC and we're taking that information and um, making some adjustments to how we continue to move forward. Um, I have a question. Um, with regards to Peter Kirk, is the so if the pool is is um, at its end of life, and we're looking at renovating, and if if the community doesn't support the Peter Kirk, so so that thirty six percent is saying no, that's a hard stop for that location. Um, will an alternative plan or a maintenance plan for Peter Kirk be considered to maintain an outdoor pool there or, or, or refurbish it? Like how, how would that weigh in to yeah. the 
the committee's review? Um, well, I, that probably won't be part of the, the, the review. I think it's going to be more of a result of um, whatever goes to the ballot measure and what is successful that will then look back at our existing conditions and what we need to do to complement whatever uh, hopeful ballot measure is proposed. I, I, I'm looking at it from a narrative standpoint, right? So if, if the default is to not do anything to Peter Kirk, but they're at least putting on the table something that says this is the commitment to maintain it, would it sell better? Does that make, no. make sense? Yeah, no, it does, it does. Um, and it seems like it would have to be part of the consideration. So I don't know where that fits in, but it, but it seems like um, an all or nothing approach won't, for Peter Kirk, Peter, knowing how emotional Peter Kirk is, um, it seems, like an opportunity to build it into the narrative of what an alternative, you know, what the status quo would look like for that mm -hmm. part. Well, and Tammy, that's a great um, observation. And, and really, I think what we, we learned is we understand very clearly how, what an important site Peter Kirk is, not only just the facilities that are there, the pool that is there, but the park that is there. And it's a really complex site, much more than um, the others that I, I presented. And because of that, it deserves its proper time and due process to evaluate the site in total. Um, and in this particular scenario, what we're trying to accomplish for this particular ballot measure, it, it's really not the right time to, to bring that in. I see. Interesting. Okay. So, so if so, if Peter Kirk is excluded from consideration by the group, then it stays as the status quo to be considered at some future. It won't. It won't be part of this comprehensive recreation. Is that what yeah. I'm hearing? Well, okay. more, more, to, more to come. Okay. <laughs> yeah. There, there is an opportunity. To we're going to ask Pufect what they think of, of all these things. And they're going to put forth their recommendations. And no, it could be, I, I, I it could understand. Be some, it could be add some, like, well, we don't think a whole building should go there. You should, we should put some money towards that. So that could be part of the funding model to renovate the pool, renovate PKCC, or renovate KTUB um, without rebuilding altogether. Um, okay. So that could still be part of the consideration. Okay. But for the feasibility study. It's, it's sort of an all or nothing. Yeah. Thank you. Mike. So I had a I had a question. So as a as a PFAC member, I was at the meeting that Mary just uh, was just talking about, uh, where Opsis made their presentation, and without question, the the Peter Kirk Park plan, there was more more conversation and controversy on that by far compared to the other ones where, oh yeah, makes sense, go for it. Um, but the Peter Kirk there, and there were so many, I think many people, including myself, I didn't understand the new model that what that OPSIS was proposing. It didn't make sense to me as it was laid out in that tiny little diagram. Many people felt that the whole Peter Kirk area 
is so heavily developed already with libraries, with, with urban going in and expanding, that did it make sense to put in another high density recreational facility there? Uh, knowing that parking is, is chaotic uh, already. So there were, there was so, I, I, where I'm going with this is, if we use Peter Kirk as an option, we have to do a lot more education and really help people understand how it can work and what makes sense. I mean, because I was one of those people I voted, I voted no, because I didn't understand it at all. It didn't make any sense to me, the new model. But again, I needed more education. And I think that's kind of what I think uh, is the problem with, with Peter Kirk, is we just need to understand it better. Like how would it work? How could, how could we make it work? Um, but it was interesting. The other two locations, the Houghton and the North Kirkland were like, sure, that makes sense, go for it. Peter Kirk, it was an uproar. From many, from many perspectives. And I imagine density breeds density too. If you've already got the uh, the transportation center right there, and you've got, you know, it's like, why do you have why do you have why do you have three pharmacies on three corners of the same <laughs> corner? It, it it gets people together. And I mean, I, yeah. I I ask my questions because I instantly like that one, and um, but I but I see that it's going to be um challenging in a community that that's no knowing what we've talked about in the past that it's just going to be sensitive and I, I agree mike i think education um for any of these is going to be really important because yeah. if you want to build two of them you start adding those numbers together it becomes a significant um investment for for families right so it's 200 and something dollars plus 150 something dollars and the next thing you know you're you know, you're talking about a lot of money. Exactly, uh, Tammy. Um, you know, one of my big issues, and, and you know, I've been, I've lived in Kirkland now for for 40, 42 years. Um, the new layout for the the multi-purpose field that would consist of a rectangular field that could be converted into two baseball diamonds. I di I didn't know how how that would work. I just don't one, know. One thing I will point out, I think it was a little confusing and, and by our own fault. The, the the diagrams they were showing were essentially just what fits on the site, not necessarily a proposed plan. And I think that got lost. Um, I, so I they lost were just it, kind yeah. of showing. So they were showing some, oh, yeah, if you want an outdoor pool, we could still put an outdoor pool there. And they were showing that it would fit. But at the same time, what they did is that eliminated the full size baseball field, which I think was. Strong level of nostalgia for that, uh, and so it was quite jarring because that is the whereas the other sites, Houghton Parker, it's a giant parking lot right now. Yeah, great. Right. Whatever you want, what, put whatever you want there. NKCC, it's a big open area. Put whatever you want there. Like what you're saying makes perfect sense. I think that was the one that was a little jarring. Um, similar. You know, like, I, I go back to my. I go back to well, my. It, we were focusing on what happened. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say that what happened with that is folks focused more on the park diagram part of it rather than the facility component. And so we we lost our, our concentration of what what the what the true intent of what we were trying to do. 
But I think the, the good thing is we heard a lot of valid concerns. And I think even if we had the best plan out there that was a perfect plan, the community may not want that. And that's the point of PPEC is that we're not getting out over our skis and putting something on the ballot that's not going to pass. We want to make sure that this is something the community wants and, and has buy-in for. And so, well, it in, the, in our mind, it all works out. It's a great plan, a great model, as long as it's done right. There may be something to be said, like, like, like I've made the comment before, and part of the reason that in the pros plan, and it was a, a topic of discussion, that one of the recommendations was to reevaluate uh, Lee Johnson Field. And that was, I think, part of where that was coming from. You all had strong messaging against that. The community, obviously, the council had the same, same thoughts. You guys are the one. Um, but that came out more in PFEC, especially when you just plop down a pool right on that field uh, without a lot of, it wasn't a park design. It was for the pit. Yeah, we can fit something there. Um, but that'll all come down the road later. I had a question, Mary. When going back to total project costs, um, so I'm, I'm looking at the, the slide that has the projected, um, you know, for this size of building, it's going to cost this to create the space. Um, does that include um, annual operational costs? And was that considered? Like for this size of a building, it's going to cost X a month for staffing, for energy, for upkeep. What would, what, what did that look like in the conversation? Yeah, it, it, it hasn't been, a, we know that's a big part of it as well. It was not, it's not, we haven't presented that at this stage, but that will be a part of, if you want this, you got to have the operating as well. Thank you. I have a question. So where are we at with the timeline? Um, I know we have that big timeline that we've all seen before. Is that still, where are we at with that? The over timeline for the ballot measure? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're, we're still on track. Again, we, we hope to bring these uh, concept plans to uh, the next step is in the second meeting in January. So we're working on refining these options to concept plans and, and then taking them forward. So we're, we're still on track to meet those the overall goal of the ballot measure, which is to have something written and ready by August 1st. Yeah. If there is, if, if PFEC would like to go forward with the ballot measure. Thank you. Did the topic of um, Metropolitan Parks District versus bonds come up in PFEC? No, not at this time. We're we're really focusing just on um, bonds and levies. The different funding mechanisms will be discussed at a future meeting. Um, I, I think in December, that's yeah. the first meeting in December. Yep. I'm gonna, December yes, 8th. I'm gonna guess that an MPD probably is not gonna be a very popular opinion. But what was that, John? I missed the last part of what you said. I would say I would assume based on previous and the more recent feedback that MPD is not the desired approach for the community. But we don't so, know. They have changed the rules. 
They have changed the rules because of the city of Kirkland, actually, mm -hmm. for the better. So. so, Mary, we're proceeding with all three options or just the two, the North Kirkland and Houghton parking lot right now? We're uh, in discussions with the consultant and um, getting some feedback from Kurt and the PFEC team. Um, we do have a, a recommendation going to city council for this Tuesday meeting um, to, pro to propose that we not look at Peter Kirk right now, um, but that'll be a city council uh, direction on Tuesday. Thank you. Am I done? <laughs> Thank you, Mary. You're nice welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, let's do let's do a quick break before we jump into another topic. It is close enough to eight ten. Let's hop back on at eight fifteen. Uh, the next item of business is the KTUB update with Recreation Manager, Sarah Schellenbarger. Sarah? Thanks, Amanda. Um, I don't have a presentation tonight and just have a brief update. Um, tonight, we had planned to share the top two um, proposals. We planned to share them ahead of time and hear your feedback tonight and your thoughts on them. And our timeline has shifted just a little bit. Um, so what's happened so far, kind of where we're at, our evaluation team comprised of city staff from Parks and Community Services Department and then the city's man uh, city manager's office have reviewed, um, evaluated, and scored the top five, or not the top five, the five proposals that we received from organizations interested in operating KTUB. And the evaluation team identified two of those proposals to move forward in the progress process. Um, both of those organizations are really well-versed in running youth and teen centers and providing comprehensive programs and services for teens. They scored, um, they scored high in the evaluation um, criteria. Uh, and those two organizations are the Boys and Girls Club and the YMCA. Um, so they have been invited to um, participate in interviews for the next step. Um, they're being asked to give a presentation on their vision for KTUB covering topics like their detailed staffing plans and program plans and budget and partnerships and what their first year might look like. Um, and then there'll be some time for Q&A. Um, and then we've also the evaluation uh, Team members from the evaluation team have also met with uh, the Human Services Commission and Kirkland Youth Council to have the same conversation that we had last month at Park Board, just kind of introducing the process. Um, what's coming next? So those uh, interviews with the two organizations are scheduled for next Friday. And then um, ahead of our December Park Board meeting, we'll share those proposals along with the city's model for operating KTUB. And at the December meeting is when we'll ask for your feedback on those. Um, and then we're completing a similar process with Human Services Commission and Youth Council. And then in December, once we've completed all of this, uh, we hope to identify a top external proposal that would then go forward 
to city council in January alongside the city's operational model for city council to make a decision. So that's the quick update I have on KTUB. I'm happy to answer any questions that folks have. Um, <clears throat> Sarah, it's maybe a little beyond just KTUB, but the whole redevelopment plan for, um, I'll call it the pool, the library, not the library, but the existing, what we used to call senior center, that whole area. Um, how long would like the agreement or the lease or whatever be with either the Y or the Boys and Girls Club so that that doesn't interfere with what the future holistic plan might be? Yeah, so um, we shared a sample lease agreement in the RFP document, and I can't remember off the top of my head what the initial kind of tentative um, lease term might be. I want to say it was five years was, with potential five-year. Five okay, and then a and then a five-year extension um, as part of that. Um, but but yeah, you know if 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 KTUB is under construction, um, you know, that would look, that would look different. So um, uh, timing wise, we should, I, I believe Mary and John, correct me if I'm wrong. I think we should have an idea of kind of what direction things are going at there um, by January when we make a decision about the future of KTUB. Yeah. So right now it's a five-year lease term is what we put in there, but we write the contract in such a way that will allow some flexibility if and when something were to happen in the building. Because um, it will take, even if you, even if PK was going to get, that was all going to get blown up and torn down, it would still take time to, to collect the funds, design, permit, and so it would take several years before we would be shovel mm -hmm. ready to start mm -hmm. doing anything and we'd have plenty of time to come up with a backup. Sure, I, I guess I was just thinking that I hope that there's some sort of, you know, reasonable notice period to, yeah. you know, get out of it so that the bigger community plan could be yes. implemented. And I, I can't Absolutely. remember from the, from the pros plan, the exact concept or whatever, but I know that other discussions I've had with Lynn or with you kind of informally when we've been, you know, meeting together, that there is a potentially a much better public use for the site than how it's being used today. And I just wouldn't want to get into a contractual arrangement that you know, instead of making it seven or 10 years, makes it 20 years or something, you know? In the past, it's been 10 year agreements, but it would be no longer than 10. But even in this case, we're proposing five to start this. Okay, thank you. Well, we would know from city council's meeting on Tuesday if they're gonna kibosh that part of the plan anyway, right? Yes, yeah. more than likely. Yeah. The what plan, I said, I, I, I said that, that what plan? The... She said if we would know on Tuesday if, if city council wants to pull that from the feasibility study yeah. review. You mean the redevelopment of Peter Kirk? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. I was thinking that it would be redeveloped even without like the aquatics or the pool or something that there's a, some sort of combination you could have for call it a community center or senior center plus like a K-tub type facility. That's what I was referring to. 
We will, whatever we do would have that flexibility built into it. And, uh, I mean, you're a little garbled there. If you had said something, it wasn't very clear. You're on mute right now. Yeah. Your sound isn't working. Do you want to? Yeah, we can't hear you. Do you want to chat? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of hand, hand waving. <laughs> okay, thank you, Sarah. Yeah, thanks. Um, moving on to the next item of business, um, John, uh, Deputy Director, will lead us in a discussion on upcoming chair and vice chair elections. <clears throat> yeah, similar to Sarah, I don't have a presentation tonight, and there is no action needed tonight. Um, but I wanted to spend a few minutes talking about the election process for chair and vice chair positions, which will happen um, next month at our December meeting. Um, my the reason for talking about it this month is to get you guys give you time to think about the rules and whether whether or not it's something you're interested in doing. Um, just to kind of weigh those options over the next month, um, as well as to ask any questions of us or our current chair and vice chair um, tonight if you have any questions for them. So uh, just as a reminder, Amanda will be resigning from Park Board at the end of, after the December meeting. So she won't be seeking another term uh, as chair. Um, so we will be electing both the chair and the vice chair. Well, we would always be electing the chair and the vice chair, um, but it will be a new chair for us next year. Um, the chair position is responsible for leading and facilitating each park board meeting. Um, they're also asked to attend um, or represent park board at park ceremonies, such as groundbreaking, ribbon cuttings, uh, perhaps council meetings or other city or staff or department functions. Um, and then as the vice chair, you essentially serve as the backup to the chair. So in their absence, you would preside over park board meetings um, or again, represent. And it, it's not always the chair that represents park board at those uh, groundbreaking ribbon cutting, but Oftentimes it is. Um, you don't have to worry about, as the chair or vice chair, you don't have to worry about knowing or being an expert in Robert's rules um, or meeting facilitation. We do provide a script um, to help walk you through those, uh, how, how things flow through the meeting. I learned that over the years that it's uh, watching council, they just do it so well that it seems like, oh yeah, it's pretty easy to do, but there are some technicalities. So we do, we started providing that script um, recently. Um, behind the scenes, some things that you may not be aware, uh, the chair and the vice chair, we meet with them, uh, or they meet with staff approximately quarterly um, to talk about any concerns that, that have come up or any issues that we think we're having, uh, as well as discuss future agenda items that are being planned. Uh, and then historically, the chair and the vice chair have met about 30 minutes prior to each meeting. So Mike and Amanda were on, online tonight at 6.30. Uh, and we just go over the night's agenda, give a heads up if there's any... Uh, any items from the audience or any kind of hot button issues that we think may come up. Um, so um, in the memo, um, historically, we've, we've, we've asked park board members kind of, hey, what are you looking for in the chair or vice chair position? We've listed some of those skills and traits um, that folks have said in the past, um, but obviously you're your own board and you can seek what you're, what you're, what you're seeking uh, in your chair and vice chair. So as you're thinking about the election process and thinking about whether or not it's something you'd be interested in doing, uh, we just wanted to give you an opportunity to uh, 
have some time to weigh, weigh your ideas and opinions. Um, for the actual election itself, um, there's an election procedure that we've used in the past outlined in the memo. Um, it somewhat depends on how many nominations we get, uh, depending on how you conduct the election, but you really can conduct it in any, any way. Um, we do just have to conduct the election in an open, um, there are no secret ballots um, essentially for this. So uh, if there's only one nomination, we can do it like we do a motion, all in favor say aye, um, all opposed nay. If there's two, we would just say, we would go around and do a vote. Um, uh, yeah, so generally we elect the chair first and then the vice chair. Anyone can nominate anybody else, um, including yourself. So if it is something you're interested in doing, you can certainly nominate yourself for to be the chair or vice chair. Um, you do not have to accept a nomination. We have had people turn down the nominations in the past. Um, and one thing, another reason why we're bringing this up now is if, you, if you're thinking about nominating anybody, I would encourage you to reach out to that person to see if they're interested in that role. Um, so this gives you gives you an opportunity to think about who, who you think might be a good chair or vice chair um, and perhaps reach out to them um, to see if they are interested in that. Um, nominations don't need to be seconded, but like I said, you can decline the nominations. Um, and then we just run through the election process. We go through the chair process first, and then we repeat the same process for the vice chair position. Um, and it is a one-year term, and we will do this all over again next December. So with that being said, I just want to see if anyone has any questions um, or concerns. With that being said, and no questions being asked, I have a question. Okay. <laughs> um, this isn't regarding the vice president and president, but with Amanda leaving, will we be one, we'll have one vacancy? Yes. And does that start in March? They will refill the position. Or they usually it, do, they usually, the, the it, term ends in March. So yeah. it'll be three months without, we'll be down one person for three months. Right. Okay. Um, That's, I was just wondering. Thanks. Yeah. Um, so if you do have other questions over the next month, please feel free to reach out to myself, Mary, Lynn, Heather, Sarah, Jason, who's on vacation today. Um, we certainly, if you want to talk about her, more than willing to do so. So, um, yeah. I would That's also like to add that you are also, I'm just going to speak for you, Mike. If anyone is interested in those positions and would like to reach out to Mike or I personally um, to kind of get our lived experience perspective, um, I, op I open that door and, and encourage anyone to reach out um, to do that. Definitely. Okay, no other questions. Uh, business items portion of the meeting is closed. Um, I'll now open communications portion of the meeting. Um, no correspondence was presented in the packet. Um, the monthly report is, um, not posted for October yet. It is, it will be soon. So, um, if you're interested in seeing the October monthly report, you can keep checking in within probably soonish within the week, I believe. I will get, we'll get it out to you guys tomorrow. I'll make, oh. sure, we get, we'll, I'll make sure we get the draft. There's a draft completed. It just needs to get, there's a few edits that we're still lingering in. I didn't realize that we hadn't finished that yet, so. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I do recognize that the month of October was a huge month for Parks and Recreation. There were a lot of events, so I can 
completely understand while um, that is just one day behind. Um, does staff have any updates or information to share with the board? I have a couple. Um, so I want to discuss one potential change I'd like to make to the agenda moving forward. Um, and I wanted to get your feedback on it before I just did it. Um, it's regarding the next item on the agenda, park board member reports. Um, I really want to make sure that we are prioritizing time to get your feedback during our meetings, um, especially over this next year with the ballot measure ramping up and the, the need to just get feedback from the community. Um, so what I'd like to propose is that we move park board member reports up to being a standing business item. Um, historically, the whole course communication section was actually before business items. And in 2018, we moved it uh, to the end of the agenda just to focus on the business items that were being presented in each meeting. Um, because at the time we were spending nearly an hour getting through the first half of the agenda before we would actually even start talking about the business items. So we wanted to kind of find that balance um, it also mirrors council meetings where they move all those uh, reports to the end. Um, however, I feel like we, I, again, I just really want to stress the importance of your guys' uh, connection to the community, getting that feedback from the neighborhood liaisons, or excuse me, the neighborhood associations. Um, and I know we do provide the, uh, the memo with some, some talking points. I would like to just stress and remind you all the neighborhood associations are just one avenue for you to provide feedback. It really can be anything. It could be your um, your church group, your neighbors, your friends, your babysitter, your dog walker, your hairdresser, um, anyone that you're hearing from that has relevant information for the Kirkland community is valuable feedback. It doesn't need to come from a formal group saying, oh, this is from the Juanita Neighborhood Association. This is what they want. If you're hearing from a few people the same thing about, hey, we want more XYZ in the parks. We want more pickleball. We want more dog parks. Um, please, we want to hear that from you all. So, um, so like my, my proposal would be that we move the park board member reports up to the business items. Um, this isn't even, my goal of this is not to compel everyone to speak, but I, what I don't want to do is lose focus towards the end of the meeting because I know how it gets to be 8.30, That's usually my bedtime. So, I know how it is and it's like, well, if I don't say anything, we can get done sooner. I don't wanna try and discourage, I'm not trying to force anyone to speak because there's gonna be times when you have nothing to report, totally understandable. Um, but we just don't wanna make sure that you're cutting your, your voice off at the end of the meeting um, for the sake of time. So does anyone have concerns if we move that to the higher up on the agenda for a little bit? Because we can always move it, we can always change it. The agenda is flexible, so. All right. The other thing I'd like to talk, what's that? Think it's fine. Perfect. Um, if we try it and it doesn't work, we can always yeah, change it back. <laughs> the other thing I would like to get your feedback on is for the December meeting, it's Amanda's last meeting, and we haven't met in person since probably February of 2020, um, other than our park tours and some other informal gatherings. So I wanted to see if anyone was interested in having an in person meeting in December. That would be lovely, but what date? It is December 14th. Oh, the same schedule yeah. I got. We would have our, just instead of a Zoom meeting for Park Board, we would meet at City Hall. Um, so just to be 
Oh, I don't have all the notes on this one. Typically park board, for, since there's a lot of new board members, typically park board, or historically, it has been held in council chambers. We sit at that big table in front of the dais. Um, and that we do that so that the meeting can be recorded using that same system um, that's in there. Um, the, the goal eventually is to have any meeting that is in person also have a hybrid option so that people from home could watch it remotely. We're not yet, we don't have the staff and resources to do that yet because it is a pretty complicated system to get set up to both run the Zoom part of things as well as the internal side of things. Um, so that's why we haven't yet resumed in person because we want to try and continue to provide the virtual um, option for the community because it is pretty nice to be able to join the park board meeting from home if you want to. Um, and so eventually when we get back to meeting in person, we'll have a hybrid option available. Um, and I think we've talked about several months ago, but eventually when we return, it could be a every other month in person or not. Um, knowing that we are still in pandemic, whether or not you believe it's over or not, um, COVID is still out there and people are still getting sick with it. Um, masks are perfectly acceptable and encouraged if you want to wear them. Um, and we can set up the room and we will set up the room in a socially distant fashion. It may not be huge setup, but it'll definitely I, be spread out enough so that we are on top of each other. In the room. So any, if I, I can get some thumbs up. In person. Okay. Thumbs up everyone for your okay in person. Any concerns? If you have I, concerns <laughs> privately, oh, go ahead, Amy. Oh, I was going to say, I will probably be out. I'm due on the 28th. Um, so I will have a probably two, three-week-old brown man. So no, I will. I didn't even know you were expecting. Congratulations. I am. Thank you. Yeah. So I will, uh, I won't be able to come in person likely. Okay. We will forgive you. So we'll we'll be challenging you your new addition. When you That's see exciting. people from the, from the, the shoulders up, it's hard to. Oh, I know. I'm, I'm definitely pretty proud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. I, I've seen some people in City Hall that, like, when I mean, the first time you see them, you're like, you're short. <laughs> or tall. Or tall. It's, it's, it's gone both directions. So, all right, I will send out more information about that prior to December's meeting. Uh, but it's right before the holidays. We can do, I'll make sure we got some treats there and we can all interact in person for once. So those are all my reports. I have a quick one related to 132nd Square Park. Um, so Amanda, thank you for joining us on that tour out there. Uh, and it was great to see um, the progress that's being made. Um, it, we are uh, really tight against the schedule. So um, we do have the contractor trying to complete this by the end of the year, but it really is highly unlikely. So um, my best uh, uh, schedule prediction is I can, I can give you a 100% guarantee that we will have a grand ribbon cutting in the spring. So <laughs> we can all just take a little deep breath and let the contractors do their work. We've had some really uh, some tough challenges out there. Um, I, one of the true testaments of that is <laughs> several of the large uh, piles of dirt that have to get moved from the site. So, um, yeah, we're we're still struggling through some challenges, but it will be completed. 
Okay. Did, um, did council have any comments about the park and the progress and were they, were they all real positive and right? Did they have any concerns with the park or anything? Um, no, no. I mean, I, I can't speak because there were three different sessions um, and three different uh, rotations of the different council members. Um, and I wasn't a part of each of those. Hmm. So, um, in general, they were very excited about the, to see the progress. There's some issues that have been ongoing with some of the neighbors and some runoff water and things. And so they're asking a lot about like, oh, is this where we fix that issue and, and little things like that. But yeah, um, well, good. Uh, yeah, it's a beautiful park. Yeah, everyone's excited to get that that project done. Um, but it's going to be a great time. Very exciting. Any other questions for staff? Okay. Uh, do any park board members have updates that they would like to share or report outs or questions or feedback from the community or anything in general that you'd like to lift up? Mike? So, um, so I have two, I have a, a, a couple of comments about neighborhood associations. Um, I have two that I support, Everest and also Highlands. Um, Everest has kind of gone into a non-active status. They don't have a meeting planned until March. And that's maybe. So, so that's... There's just informational. And then my other one, Highlands, I've been trying to get on their, on their agenda, um, but I, I found out that their, um, their November meeting is already full. So I have to wait until January to get on their calendar and, and present some stuff. So my comment to you is don't, don't wait too long to reach out to your neighborhood associations, uh, do it early, do it often, keep bugging them. And, uh, you know, you can use my lessons learned about what not to do. <laughs> I appreciate that. And Mike, I don't know if you, there was an email sent to you today, tonight from uh, Bob with the Highlands Neighborhood Association. So Bob, Bob Keller? Yeah. Yeah, thank you, he's from Highlands. He's also on the PFEC uh, committee. Um, that being said, Mike brings up a good point about neighborhood associations. Um, sometimes getting on their formal agenda can be difficult if they've got other things planned and if you're like, you don't get there early enough. Um, sometimes just being there, they may have questions and they may just, so like I said, neighborhood associations is one avenue that doesn't necessarily give you a formal presentation of the neighborhood associations. Uh, sometimes just being there to serve as a voice or a ear for the the community to uh, reach out to, um, just to make that connection. So. Yeah, true. I mean, I even though I'm not on their agenda, I will attend their meetings because there's a very good chance they're going to ask a question and mm -hmm. I can be there to respond to it. Appreciate it. Rashawn? 
Yeah, so in the same light, um, I was invited to the Market Neighborhood Association, that's the neighborhood I live in, to give an, um, kind of a final summary of the pros plan. And Mary was kind enough to send me one of the decks that she'd used as the city council meeting. And so there'll be that information presented. And I'm anticipating, um, <laughs> I could be wrong, but um, I think there may be some, some discussion about the prioritization and how we're dealing with a bunch of stuff. And, you know, I won't say that there's a particular position uh, of the park board if there isn't, but I will offer my own thoughts on it. And um, that's as far as that goes. And John, I did have one thing for you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I on my walk, I, I usually go through Marina Park as part of my route. And um, I've forgotten the guy's name, Will somebody who's the musician. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, yeah, and um, you know, I, I watched a, um, a city council meeting where there was a lot of back and forth about the volume and the complaints and this and that. <clears throat> the reason I thought of it is because just today, um, when I was walking through, um, someone was saying something about this guy is here and he's too loud, right? And I thought, oh, well, I wonder whatever happened to what the rule was gonna be. Did, did they ever settle on a final rule? Yeah, we did settle on a rule. Um, we've implemented a busking permit process mm -hmm. or program. Um, so you and that gentleman has purchased a permit. Um, mm -hmm. The permit busking has a lot of legal complexities that are well beyond my um, Parks and Rec degree um, knowledge. But essentially, busking is a First Amendment. Uh, it is considered free speech. Um, and you can't, but you can regulate a city. We can regulate uh, time, place, and manner. So there are certain things that we can regulate, such as volume or use of amplification. Um, the busking permit essentially allows a busker to use amplified uh, amplification. So whether that's in Will's case, he uses a keyboard um, to accompany his singing. Um, that could be someone using a speaker to, to sing through, uh, which Will also does. Um, so in theory, the sound rules are still the same. He is supposed to keep his volume under control to within, or it can't be heard within 50 feet or something like that. And we've got little maps that show what that, what that looks like in theory, because you don't always know what 50 feet really is when you're standing out in a park. Um, unfortunately, it's a, it is a complaint-driven enforcement. So while he does have a permit and he is legal to be there, um, we're not out there monitoring it. Um, our park rangers can't enforce it. Um, they can educate him and ask him to, to keep it down. Uh, and if it becomes a problem, what we do is we end up calling PD um, and they would have to come down and enforce it if they have availability and the resources to do so. Um, but is, is there reality, a limit? What's that? Is there, is there a limit on how many busking license licenses there, there can be? So that you, you know, because sometimes before this, you know, you'd have competing buskers, right? And they're all, and they were all kind of loud. And so I was just, you know, I'm yeah. walking through there and I'm thinking to myself, you know, you got good question. Different, different kinds of music. They're both kind of loud. And there may be some people there who are just there to, you know, enjoy the sunset. And yeah. that's, that was the situation today. So, so there were two buskers there today? No, it was just. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, the, when you sign up for the busking permit, you do agree to all our rules and regulations. And one of those is there are des designated busking locations within parks. Um, mm. The busking permit also applies to the, to the streets and right-of-ways too. So 
if you're going to blast on Park Lane with the amplification, you also need to have that permit. Um, but in the parks, we've identified designated busking locations. So in Marina Park, there's one spot that we've essentially identified. Mm -hmm. And the reason we did that was to try and locate them central to the park. Mm -hmm. So they weren't necessarily blasting noise towards the neighbors um, or right on top of the neighbors. Um, it's really hard down there because Marina Park, there's condos on both sides um, mm -hmm. right on top of it. But we did that, we, we designated the one location uh, and we put a two hour time limit on it if others are waiting um, so that we don't have competing buskers. Oh, okay. That we've had, like I believe last summer, it was literally just mm -hmm. all of the bands going on out there because they both wanted to play. Um, mm -hmm. And so they are, again, haven't had any complaints yet. We only have the one person that purchased the permit, mm -hmm. um, but we shall see what it goes on next summer. So okay. we'll be back when the weather gets better. Well, good job on working it out because I know it's a complicated issue and there was a really a lot of strong feelings at the testimony part that mm -hmm. I watched. And so I can only imagine that it was, it was a tough thing to get through. So good for you and the other park staff who worked with you on it and probably the city attorney as well. Yeah, there's some legal review on that for sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, good. Thank you for that. I appreciate mm -hmm. it. Great question. Any other reports by board members? Okay, I'll go ahead and go. Um, I wanna give uh, kudos, uh, huge kudos to the parks recreation staff. Like I mentioned earlier, there were a lot of programming happening um, in October. Um, the uh, Dio de los Meritos event, which is the first um, in Kirkland, um, was a phenomenal event. Um, it was a great turnout. Um, I attended, it was different than other events. It felt a little bit more um, connected and it, there was, it was in the Peter Kirk uh, Space Community Center and there was opportunities for folks to engage with one another. There was multiple opportunities for activities and it seemed very intimate and engaging and um, kudos Sarah to your team for, I know a lot of um, uh, planning um, went into that and it paid off. Uh, I also went to one of the Halloween um, uh, events, Boo Bingo, which I think was also a first in Kirkland. It was really fun. Um, I know there was lots of other programming that happened for, um, for Halloween, for harvest, for fall. Um, and so I know a lot of community members enjoyed that. So I just wanna give a kudos. Thank you for putting that on. Um, also thank you to city staff for doing the park tour. Um, I know that was a really rainy day, um, but it was appreciated to be able to go and see that in person. Also a lot of work and effort has been go going into that and keeping us updated. Um, and I think, that is all that I have to report. Um, I will give a more lengthy report on the neighborhood associations that I support next month, kind of an off offboarding, offloading information um, to see if anyone wants to call dibs on my neighborhoods, which are Finn Hill and Juanita. So just a heads up on that. Um, any final thoughts or comments before we finish up here. None being, um, the meeting is adjourned. Thank you all.